I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome along to the Shaky Show. Shaky Burn, of course, and me, Greg Haynes, with you. I've just been sprayed with orange juice, actually, because Shaky's just opened his can of San Pellegrino, and it went flying all over the uh, clerk of the course's office. It's an empty room, which is where we're sat here at Alton Park. You've been in here a few times over the years, I suppose. Yeah, I've been told off in here a few times, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Um, but more recently, actually, this is the uh, the room that we used to come to to do the, um, you know, the post-race press conferences and stuff, so... You know, if you've got pole or if you've got a uh, race win or whatever, you get to come in here as well. So on that basis, you've been in here a hell of a lot then. <laughs> yeah, I've been here a few times, yeah, but uh, I've also been told off in here a few times as well. <laughs> it's been an interesting weekend, hasn't it? What, just obviously you've been talking a lot this afternoon anyway on Eurosport with Matt Roberts and the gang, but what's the highlight been for you? Really? For me, I guess it's the fact that the V4 Ducati, which has won pretty much everywhere, has now went here as well. Yeah, funnily enough, I just um, I just had a quick chat with the um, the marketing manager from Ducati UK, and I said to him, you know, you got to be you got to be fairly kind of relieved because you know the bike had uh, had won as you said pretty much everywhere. And I actually joked with Paul Bird in um, in Silverstone, and as we walked off the grid in race one, I said to him, Joe, I don't em- I don't envy you at all. And he said, uh, looked at me and just gave me a bit of a frown like he normally does. And I was like, he said, what do you mean? And I went, well. You know, if the boys don't win, or if the boys win a race, it's because the V4 is great and it's won everywhere. Mm. I said, but if the boys don't win, it basically means you've not done a good enough job. Um, and he just kind of grunted and muffled and sort of roughed his feathers a little bit. And, uh, and what did you think about that? Well, listen, it was it was all said in a little bit of yeah. jest. You know, he, he's he's cool. So. Um, you know, looking back actually at um, at today, the fact that they have got the, the win, it wasn't wasn't just one either. You know, got the double win with with Tommy backing him up as well, um, and taking two podiums was fantastic. Brilliant by Bridewell, actually, wasn't it? That sounds right, doesn't it? Brilliant by Bridewell. Actually, Jack Burnicle said a good thing. It's all about the bees because we have uh, we have, yeah Brooks Bridewell and Buchan one two three same top three in the two races, uh, but yeah Ducati. They're getting where they want to be. Somebody said to me earlier on, Shaky. They said they were laughing. They said, oh. This is in the press room. So oh, I wonder if they're going to have to start slowing these Ducatis down a bit because it was quite a big gap, wasn't it, to be fair, back to the rest. Do you know what's interesting, though, right? I've, I've been trying to do a little bit of research and uh, it's actually quite disturbing because I've actually been thinking about this whole thing <laughs> quite a lot more than I perhaps ought to be. But um, I've spoke with a number of, uh, of crew chiefs and you know a few riders and actually spoke with Pirelli as well. And, and I've been trying to, trying to get to the bottom of this new SC0 because... Mm. from Pirelli's side this tyre should 
offer a slight performance advantage, but from a from a longevity and a wear point of view, and from a, an operating temperature range, it should be better. But and this is not not me just sitting here giving it really big spuds. The boys aren't going fast. Um, you know, my my pole position time here would have been pole position again, and you know probably my my last race win here would have probably won the race. Um, that said. I uh, understand that Josh made a, a slight a slight mistake in race one, thinking that his pit ball was reading that he had a two or three second lead when it was actually point two or point three second lead. Um, really? So he never really stretched himself at all. And I was wondering why he was riding around looking quite relaxed. But I kind of struggle a little bit to buy that because you know those Ducatis aren't quiet, and at a new uh, yeah probably. I don't know, five or six places on this circuit when you've got a bike in close proximity, you'll know it's there. So him saying, oh, yeah, I didn't realise and I was just cruising around or whatever is, is one thing. But that said, he did go a bit faster, as did everybody else in race two. But, yeah, the pace wasn't wasn't horrendously fast. Do you buy into this theory that something Tommy Bridewell said? He said he's always – a wheelie's normally a big problem, isn't it, Alton? He said he's hardly having any now. He reckons it's these new aerodynamic winglets – you know, the downforce, is that probably what you think the case is? Is that why they're not getting so much wheelie anymore? Well, they're going to help, for sure. Um, you know, Ducati didn't invest probably the hundreds of thousands of yeah. euros that they did. Um, you know, let's not forget, they were they were the main kind of protagonists of, of the wings in MotoGP. They kind of started the whole thing off. They spent a load of money in the wind tunnel. Um, and if that V4R has them on, it's on there because they work. And... I know firsthand because obviously my my crew chief from last year, Giovanni Krupi, was or is the, the, the head of development of the V4R. Um, he knows they work. Um, and yeah. if they're helping and Tommy's feeling it, you know, that, that's great. And Scott Redding, obviously a little bit further back, but considering he's on, you know, probably I would say the most difficult track to learn, would you say, on the calendar? I think so, yeah. I mean, there's some there's some very uh, unique circuits in the UK. I mean, I did a track feature, actually, with, with Wit um, yesterday morning. Yeah. And do you know what? It's so weird to, to walk through a corner, to explain what you're trying to achieve and what you want to achieve in the corner and explain how, you know, that might change completely between a qualifying lap and a last lap battle, yeah. but get so... Um, invigorated and so excited and, and so I was like it was almost like you'd given me a bike to ride again you know and he and yeah. I finished that piece and it was genuinely like two mates who were made up talking about something we both love yeah. and it, you know that's a good thing and it's a bad thing because it it shows me just how much I do miss riding the bike but it also shows me how much fun it can be to, you know, to work alongside yourself and to work with Weir and Matt and the rest of the Eurosport crew. I'm really enjoying it. But there is no substitute for riding your bike. That's good as well because we had a tweet, didn't we, in the podcast in Silverstone. Somebody was asking if you could do some track walks. So there you go. You've done your first one. Yeah, I mean, we only ended up actually filming the last corner because we, we deemed it to be one of the most important sectors of this track. Um, you know, we've seen some some fantastic battles, haven't we, into, into Lodge, as it's yeah. called. Um, you know, real tricky corner. I think if, if that corner was flat, the corner speed would be nowhere near as high. But, you know, unless you actually come to Alton Park and go for a walk around the circuit and, and see just physically how... Um, cambered it is how much it drops off on yeah. the exit you know it's really quite surprising the TV yeah. really flattens it out 
Knickerbrook was one someone was talking about earlier in the weekend because I suppose when you're on I don't ride as you know but if you're cranked over coming out of the chicane you've got that curve up on your right you can't actually see where the track goes can you before Clay Hill yeah you, you I guess you take for granted just just how long you've been been doing these mm. things and what I do want to know actually seeing as we're doing this podcast together all year yeah. why don't you ride a motorbike Ray? James Whittam's asked me this a lot as well and it's never something I've said that you know, I've never said, oh, I don't want to ride a motorbike. Series director Stuart Eats. you coming in to join, yeah, to join the podcast? Yeah, come in. Boost the racing. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How are you doing, Stuart? How's it been this weekend? Well, other than the sort of more red flags than a Chinese military parade on Saturday, then what, what happened <laughs> yesterday? Yesterday wasn't a bad day. There was a few little things in the morning. And then today... Arrived here at 6.45 in the morning and the first lap of the track and it was like a rainbow oh, yeah. um, you know, display for most of the track and uh, it turns out overnight they have a security patrol not unreasonably doing the rounds making sure no one gets out on the track and mm. damages signage and air fence and things like that but the vehicle that was used I, it would appear had a bit of a diesel leak so you know, uh, we had to, had to literally take no chances complete uh, you know, chemical uh, application and a jet wash of 2.7 miles which kind of set us on course for the for the day, and obviously the weather this morning was, you know, we've gone from Silverstone twenty two degrees air temp to six point five degrees air temp. I mean, it was just horrible. So, uh, but after that, it was all fine. And then the last little uh, uh, thing thrown at us was, um, yeah, the lights failed for Supersport, which was uh, oh, not, yeah. not in the plan either. But uh, so, so I had to sort of like work out whether it was either fix them or. Going unfurl the Union Jack, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we saw it on film, didn't we? We saw yeah, the, 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 the flag, cameras yeah. picked up on the yeah, Union Jack flag. Yeah, we didn't really want to do that. I mean, yeah, lights obviously uh, are much more. We want our jump start tech and things like that. We, 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 we must use the lights. But uh, yeah, other than that, uh, uh, not a bad weekend. But I, I, I think on reflection, I think all the interruptions in particular on Saturday, I'm sorry if you may have covered this already, but uh, you know, it was uh, the, the test of, uh, a week or so back, that was. Um, Dry in the morning, then uh, right off in the afternoon, and then there was a lot of um, you know, yesterday. FP3 was wet. Uh, Saturday was lots of interruptions, and uh, you know I think that probably hindered a few people's uh, setups, which probably took the edge off uh, some of the you know some of the sort of come off the back of Silverstone. I think people may have expected it to be a little little closer, not taking any anything away from the results that we got thoroughly deserved, but the. I think irritating things, you know, the Smiths team failing at higher pressure check. You know, we've been on and on about teams about making sure that they uh, don't fail this, and we've it's a big thing from Pirelli uh, coming off a of World Superbike as well. Can I ask you one question about that? Um, obviously, that's a it's a big big penalty, isn't it, for a, potentially a race winner or a podium finisher to be pulled off the grid and, and made to start from the back, when essentially that problem could be caused by. Yeah, just taking a valve cap off, you're going to lose a little bit of pressure. You know, they're on the borderline anyway. Is it, are you? Is it something you're going to look at that the penalty going forward, or is it still going to remain that that this is the deal? You stick to it, or or that's the penalty. I think you just said the the key word you mentioned. There, it's borderline. That's I think what Pirelli are trying to get away from. That it has been too borderline, and as we're now seeing, we've been below the threshold probably on more times than we ever realised was out there. And obviously, GP racing, uh, they have. Um, dynamic data which 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 monitors it in real time and that's cured it there um there was a world championship race i was involved in in motor two where a, a team uh were under in, in world championship motor two it's been a, a factory in, in world Street, but pirelli they are adamant about this so it's a big thing for them and we met with all the teams at the beginning of the year explained it all and everyone and we were actually going to go for a more 
softly, softly introduction of the first couple of rounds being more advisory, but actually everyone came to that every team said, no, okay, we're going to do it. It will be uh, an absolute. Everyone understood the gauge is the gauge. That's the, that's the reading. And obviously we can't get into a situation sub three minutes on the grid where we're fanning around, sort of I'll put a bit more in, or messing it up. You know, it's, it's, if it's a foul, take it to pit lane because that's where it can be remedied. But yeah, it is a big penalty. But, you know, talking to some of the tyre techs, there's, de- there's definitely a big difference in the way some teams go about it. Some play safe and then you know, leave pit exit for the, the sighting lap with, with a bit to play with and then just bring it down a little bit on the grid in anticipation of the check, whereas some are leaving pit lane on this borderline and, they, and they've got caught out. So, um, yeah, I think there'll be some sort of, um, you know, some, some head scratching from the tyre techs uh, and you know, it, it will... It often takes us to cure the problem. Um, we've never necessarily perceived it as a problem, but for sure, Pirelli have. Quality history, I'm keen to ask. Obviously, we've seen a lot more of you in the programme this year with our camera there and race control. It seems to be working quite well. What's it like for you? Do you like it? Yeah, well, I think, you know, the championship is all about making people understand the processes and, and being um, accessible. I think, you know, obviously, other forms of racing, you know, <laughs> the uh, GP with the jump staff for Cal and everything, you know, there was a big, you know, there was a big disconnect there between... Uh, you know the the, the official and the riders, and you know, I hope Shane would back back us up. Even though you know, we may have not seen eye to eye every now and again, but we've always had respect for each other in in the process. And this is just a small way of just trying to make sure everyone understands that though things aren't just randomly done. There is a there is a process. There's continuity, and the decisions that we make are are, are validated. I think that's why it's so easy. You know, when we were talking about the the Mackenzie and O'Halloran thing in uh, in Silverstone. Yeah. You know, my my first point was. Stuart, Stuart has a lot more, sees a lot more than, than any of us ever will. The fact that he's prepared to, to have a camera in his, in his office or in his booth or whatever you want to call it shows total transparency. You know, there's, there's nothing, he's not trying to hide anything or take something from somebody or do something from somebody and he has much more knowledge than, than us watching the monitor yeah. ever will. So that's why, as he said, you know, when he makes a call, it's, it's made for a reason. You can see the reason and he knows the reason and he's the boss. So that's that. I think, I think we've seen it in a lot of other sports, though. Um, you know, it is field of play decisions, and they carry some controversy. But if they are factually backed up, mm. clear evidence uh, that we can make a decision, a field of play decision, it's happened, it's dynamic. Um, if an advantage, and that's the, the key thing, advantage inadvertently, not whether it's been gained in the case of that last lap incident, it was, and they, then you correct it. Motorsport has, has kind of, or in certain disciplines of motorsport, stepped out of that and it was always okay we'll wait till the end of the race and have a great big argument mm-hmm. and you're always just going to get two Coming sides of this yeah, yeah, funnily yeah. enough yeah <laughs> I mean, you know, it, I mean yeah. this I mean probably wasn't this building but I mean certainly I mean that's lessons learned from this venue from 2000 with Hodgson and Walker we we were arguing until about one o'clock in the morning it was basically uh, you know, one one set of words against the other um, in hindsight what happened there between Hodgson and Walker in the year 2000 wasn't usually different to what happened a couple of weeks back mm. and it was dealt with there and then and we, we, we just get on with it but now yeah. you see it in Formula 1 you see it in other forms of motorsport where there are decisions made during the race where they're clear if there's clearly and there's not a clear cut uh, opinion um, then you defer it to the end of the race and, and allow evidence to be heard there might be data to be looked at but you know, I, I, I certainly favour the, the field of play decision because it's nice, isn't it, for the crowd to be able to go home and for the TV broadcasters to be able to go off air, knowing what the result is. Yeah, but also for a rider that has inversely gained an advantage, um, they have the chance to, to, to remedy it. I mean, it, it's different. Um, 
you know, the, the, I mean, I look back to probably the most um, significant contact involving a crash involved Shane and um, Alex Lowe's back in Assen. In the know that that was more than just the last lap, last one. That was something that was a uh, several lengths back. Yeah. Horrendous miscalculation, high speed corner. Um, you know, in the grounds of reckless. You know that that, that was the, the the sanction against Alex at the time. So that wouldn't have changed changed that. Um, but where you get things that are, oh, you know, we want people to race. And it, you know we don't want to be sort of holding people up here in five minutes and just and, and killing the thing stone dead. We want people yeah. to race, but if in a miscalculation or an error and or um, something where someone gains an advantage inadvertently or not, we want to be able to say right, we now have this you know, this long lap thing. You know, it, it was invented by by ourselves and you know, taken on by other disciplines. It's something that sits away from something like a time penalty where you might get someone cross the line in first place on the road, but at the yeah. time it changes it. And that, that looks awful. Mm. Um, it, it gives the penalty in real time. It allows the person to come back from the mistake and is, is a bit of justice. And it gives us something different to watch on the telly as well, doesn't it, to be fair? Well, yeah. I mean, there are, and there is a big viewership both at the track and at home. And um, yeah, it's a, it, they're seeing it unfold and, it, and, it, and it's instant and it's, um, it, it, it's fairer. Just quickly, Stu, about you personally, some people might not know, you're doing a lot more than just BSB, aren't you? You're covering all sorts of events, Motor America, you're a busy man. Yeah, I do so. I, I, I sort of said I'd help Wayne Rainey out, and I seem to be still helping him out five years. Five years, I mean, they were racing in Virginia this weekend, yeah. and um, they had a bit of a weather-affected day yesterday, and I was taking quite a few phone calls and then went into the, uh, the evening mm. uh, last night. But uh, yeah, I do so. I sit on the FIM MotoGP Stewards panel and do a few races. I'm actually, my next event is the MotoGP of Le Mans as the appeal steward. So I kind of stay out of the, the, the front line. I'm more of the, I'm the, the appeal steward normally. So I had to basically, um, I, I got all the Ducati Aero thing on my lap and mm. managed to quite swiftly swerve it into um, the FIM MotoGP court of appeal in Geneva a couple of weeks later because the one thing that wasn't get sorted out at, at 2.30 in the morning in Doha was advanced aerodynamic determinations. <laughs> <laughs> What have you made of it all so far, Shaky? I mean, obviously, you're looking at it from a different perspective. That's the great thing, though, about Stuart and MSV here, isn't it? They get the job done. A decision is made. It doesn't go dragging on into the night. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and as Stuart said, everybody sees it as it happens. And, you know, the viewers see it as it happens. And, and it's a, a closed book. And, and you know, we, we finish up and we go on to the next round and, and look forward to some more great racing. Um, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head actually when you when you spoke about the the mixed conditions over the weekend. You know, a few people not had the the, the perfect opportunity to, to get yeah. fully up to speed. So maybe the races weren't quite as exciting as we as we might have hoped for. But um, I don't think for one minute that you know because we've seen two Ducatis win this weekend, we're going to see Ducati smoke the rest of the championship. I think that you know various bikes and various tracks are going to have strengths and weaknesses. And you know the great thing about the rules here at the moment is that everything seems to be relatively level. So. So, um, yeah, we, we can look forward to, to Donington Park and some, and some more great racing. And, you know, it kind of, um, Donington, I think, is going to lend itself to a little bit to Scott Redding. You know, it's obviously he was the youngest ever GP mm. rider there to, yeah, win, a, to win a race. Um, knows the place like the back of his hand. Um, I'm looking forward to see him there because bringing him to Alton Park, you know, I've raced in Alton Park for a lot of years and, and you never stop learning. Mm. Um you never stop loving the place. You never stop learning the place. And, you know, he came here, a couple of top sixes, as we mentioned earlier on. But now he goes somewhere he knows really well on a bike that he spent a bit of time on. And uh, I'm looking forward to see what we're going to get from him there. I suppose the only thing is we're on the national circuit, aren't we? I was going to say, I mean, that's, that's been a big uh, box ticket exercise. And we've not raced on the national, I think, since 2000, 2001. It's, a, it's as far back mm, as that. Uh, 2002. 
2002. On the Renegade, or uh, yes, yeah, Renegade, yeah, the, uh, Mark Griffiths team, the yeah. um, Highland Spring team. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so long time ago. Slightly different. The uh, the right left uh, chicane flick. It was reprofiled when the circuit yeah. was. Um, the, came back after the F1 disaster. Mm. So, um, yeah, I was watching touring cars last week there. I mean, it, 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 anyway, he takes us away the um, no, the S's Melbourne Goddard thing, which is which is three good overtake, overtaking options. But I think from a flying perspective, I mean, you've only got to go and get your, go on YouTube and search for the sort of the world of sport races yeah. from the mid-80s. And then that was the stable yeah. diet of everybody was Donington uh, short circuit. I think, you know, we're going for a sort of something like a one minute, two, one minute, three second lap. So it's going to be a... Um, you know, quite a quite a short lap time again, um, but without the the, the the shuffle that you also always get at the S's Melbourne and, and, and Goddard. So uh, that'd be interesting. But in, the other thing there, I mean, no, about that long lap thing is we don't actually have a long lap um, area on the Donington National. It doesn't lend itself. Melbourne Loop would probably do it um, for the GP circuit. So what we're looking at at the moment is. Um, because the pit lane is actually quite a short pit lane, we're just reviewing what we can do on a time calculation to actually have a uh, a higher speed limit, but uh, yeah, use yeah. the pit lane, not blast through their 150 mile an hour, yeah. but maybe a 100k speed limit, which will probably be something like an an eight or nine second real time penalty. Um, instead of you know, we don't want to go back to ride throughs for or no longer um, penalties, but that that might be what we have to do. But triple header as well, and that was another. Uh, thing when we planned the calendar this year the first two rounds of the championship there's always a bit of a sort out some better prepared than others but by the time you get to round three and in previous years we had to wait for months because of the you know, showing a bit of um, love to the roads people yeah. you just start and then you just then you then you drop up again you lose momentum but critically we have a, we have a race uh, at the end of may so there will be momentum carrying on but to, but it's a big point tool you know that's um uh, no, lots of podium credits, um, big natural points all as well. Um, that's going to be worth doing. And then, of course, uh, then we do just have a two or three week break, and then we get into the new middle ground of the championship, which is now completely redefined by our Triple Crown yeah. initiative, um, presented yeah, by. Now, now I'm not riding. <laughs> yeah, although yeah. well, you tried to get your hands on the check the other I day. I did. I nicked yeah. it. <laughs> I've already cashed it. <laughs> but yeah, we've just seen our first double of the year, and if someone leads Brands yeah, Hatch with true. a double, and now uh, Josh has done a double at Brands for all of a sudden, you're going to get you know, 75k sort of like being being um, dangled in front of you, which will just <laughs> you know, just adds another dimension, and that takes care of the middle round of the championship, and then we build up to the. Uh, the the end of the natural uh, of the main season and then it then it showed on time again so these little tweaks we you know we, we think and hope of uh, you know just yet another thing just to sort of add a little bit of a, a new dimension to the championship so if someone does the sorry shake if someone does the triple crown is that your holiday off for the year um, <laughs> if I was going on a 75,000 pound holiday I wouldn't be doing this job in the first place <laughs> <laughs> sorry what's, uh, what's your thoughts on the on the Silverstone you know we, we've obviously used the, the national circuit last year because of the GP thing and whatever else and you've used it this year to start a championship I think it's fair to say that the Silverstone that we got at the in the first round wasn't really BSB in some ways was it, it was like 24 degrees or whatever it's absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. you know Perhaps the riders like Forres, Corti, you know, even Scott Redding coming in, four or five corners to deal with, and, and, and that's a lap done. What's your what's your take on on the getting back to the GP circuit, the full Silverstone GP circuit in the future, or are you looking to do one and one again, or what, what are you thinking? I mean, it's a hard and head thing. I mean, yeah, it's a great circuit, three point six miles, one of the you know, the longest tracks in the MotoGP calendar is obviously our, our, our longest chat, mm. but you know. I, as a as an operating practical operating thing, 
um, 18 corners on a British Championship venue that where you have a two-minute lap time. You get a weather weather like um, uh, this morning, for example, you're into two minute 20, two minute 25 lap times. It, it, it's a value thing for the for everybody watching as well. You know, do you have a 14 lap uh, BSB race or do you have a 30 lap BSB race? If you're sitting in the grandstand, uh, do you want to see the people go by 30 times or do you want to see them go by 40 times, uh, 14 times? Absolutely, the, the, the track, you know, you can't take it away. Some of the great corners. I mean, the thing that just really, really irritates me is Silverstone had the perfect solution. It was the international circuit. It was, um, it contained the best bits. It had fast woodcut. Um, it had the fabulous bridge corner, the double left to prior into Brooklands. It had a nice little, you know, you had Beckett's, which was a, a good sort out. So you could do the, the, the lunge into Maggots, uh, no, hairpin at Beckett's. Then you had a nice little left, right, uh, I think it was a left, right, left flip flop. Onto the back straight, into a great overtaking, big swooping hairpin where you could take multiple lines. It was a perfect track. One minute thirty. We actually run world superbike races there as well, and, and British Championship races, and they dug the bloody thing up. Yeah. And it's just and, and left us with one that's too long and one that's arguably probably a bit too short. I mean, they're getting a resurface in June, and we've you know, sort of trying to nudge them to say, look, there is a kind of a little bit of a not a, a good intermediate solution as good as we used to have, but if you just did the Be- the Beckett's S's and sort of came back where the loop on the GP circuit is, it would just add another corner and just turn it into maybe a, a 61, 62 second lap and just give it that extra little bit of character because it's a bit of a triangle. You know, it, it's a it, it, it's a big old elbows out thing, um, but it, it does kind of grate a bit knowing that you've got this majestic circuit on the same uh, premises that yeah. you can't really sort of use and it's perhaps a bit too big for purpose. And I know even the GP people almost say it's a bit too long for them it's as well. Yeah. So. so I always love talking to you though. You're just a race fan deep down at heart, aren't you like the rest of us? Well, absolutely. You know, I've grown up with it and you kind of know what works and what doesn't. And it is just a bit frustrating when something that did work <laughs> is bloody dug up. So. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously you That's race that international. now, is it? Having, <laughs> having his phone on in the middle of my shaky show. <laughs> It's my lawyer. <laughs> yeah. That's about the 70... Or it's about the 75k check that you cashed. Hi, I'm James Whitton. Don't forget to join us this weekend for World Superbikes from Imola. Live on Eurosport and the Eurosport Player. I was going to ask, just obviously before Stuart came in, we were talking about new bikes, weren't we, and the developing of a new bike. Yeah. Uh, Josh Brooks is doing it now with Tommy Bridal and Scott Redding, of course. You developed the V-Twin with Giovanni Krupe, didn't you, before? So the question really was, how do you go about developing a new motorcycle? I think, in my opinion, one of the things that, that I sort of stipulated to Giovanni was that it was really important that um, we we didn't, shortcut anything you know i knew that taking on the v2 was a was a big ask because i don't even think am i right saying i hadn't even had a podium that's right yeah. i hadn't had a podium in, in bsp at all so you know when we switched from kawasaki and, and and jumped on the on the v2 you know we we had a lot of work to do but i said to him i don't want you to take any power out of any gears i don't want you to do any shortcut because i want to do this process once and and never have to do it again um you know, the other side of the garage, their approach was slightly different, you know, to make the thing a little bit more rideable and make it a little bit more easy for Glenn. They took power out of some gears and stuff. But I looked at it that, you know, the way the BSB Championship runs with the showdown, it's really important that by the time you get to round nine, 
you know what you've got underneath you and you have no question marks, you know. So I didn't want to get to round nine in a championship and think, oh, maybe we should have put a bit of power back into second or third gear or whatever because, you know, we have a control ECU in BSB that doesn't enable you to do very much, which means the rider has full control. So ultimately your traction control is your right hand and the size of your for want of a better word um and you know you need to make your bike as rideable as possible as i said you know we we worked really hard we we i think we did a good job you know we went from a bike that never had a podium to a bike that won the championship that year and then backed it up we won the second year and the great thing for me is that the process that i had to go through has translated exactly onto the v4 so all the work that we had to do back in 16 they've basically copy and pasted and almost put into the v4 and it gave them like a you know they went from the thing practically running or barely running going at um was it monte blanco the first day the first test wasn't it um they went from monte blanco with a thing barely running to you know portomao with a bike that was actually running and fueling quite well um because of all the work we'd done before it was just a case of following that that natural process. So, yeah, I'm quite proud to have been a part of that, and I'm and I'm really proud that the team have done a good job and, and come away with a double today. I mean, it's great, great that the, the Ducati V4 now is one in in BSB because you know it's one everywhere else, and I think there are a lot of uh, eyebrows raised, obviously, when it didn't win in uh, in BSB at Silverstone. But yeah, there was some some bad luck for some riders, you know, some some tough times for other riders and stuff, and. I think the championship now, Alton Park onwards, will, will start to kind of level itself out and, you know, we'll start to see riders that are going to be more consistent and, mm. you know, people getting better and better as the season goes on. We talked about it just a bit, Stuart, before you came in, about the fact that obviously they've dominated in World Superbikes, they've won in Italy and all over the place. How would you, how would you make it so level in BSB? Because it always is so open every year, isn't it? Yeah, I, mean, I think the, the electronics are a, a massive factor in it. I mean... The package that Bautista has underneath him is, um, no, it's mechanical and certainly um, electronics. Whereas, mm, yeah. you know, with, with us, it doesn't matter whether you're on the oldest bike out of the the, the big six manufacturers or, or the newest. Some things are, are are the same, and that does lend itself to um, you know, the, the, the the skill of the rider. I think from a technical point of view, I mean, I think that the, the bike that I think we are still yet to come in, uh, that we're still yet to see come to the fore is the BMW, is that they been on the back for I think you know there's they weren't quite as prepared as they perhaps needed to be and uh, they've had to sort of have a bit of an interim solution to get themselves going but as the season progresses I think in BSB trim I think that 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 will be the weapon yeah, that's, it's that's gone my, well that's here my, that's my kind of you know, just just my kind of feeling that the fact it's where it is now and it's you know they're they're at least two sessions behind everybody yeah. not a, a BMW didn't turn up at any of the tests um, so we're now on the you know the, the the second race meeting, and you know there, there's some strength coming there. It's yeah. interesting to see how the two teams are going slightly different ways, as wasn't it? Smith's bringing in that suitor swing arm. Tyco aren't using it at the moment, which is quite good actually to see how it's going to pan out for all of them. Yeah, I mean, like everybody has their their idea on what the the best approach to developing a package is. I mean, I think that the um, you know the Smiths team they're very well funded you know they, they can do what they want when they want and uh, the Tyco team obviously are, are working hard to work alongside the manufacturer probably have a little bit more manufacturer support than, than Smiths do but yeah each has their own approach to doing things and 
on a slightly different note, just thinking about it whilst you're here, um, obviously you introduced the, the, the controlling CU back in 2012, and I, for one, thought you were absolutely crackers at the time. Um, I and, and, the phone call yes, hater. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I remember my, my debut on the, on the bike at Aragon, actually, the Kawasaki, and uh, I remember thinking to myself that, Flipping Stuart Higgs, who does he think he is? I'm in third gear on the side of a tyre, and if this thing lets go, I am off to the moon because that first section is so fast. But it has to be said, you know, the bikes are great fun to ride. Even Leon Aslam said at um, Silverstone that, you know, that the difference between riding a World Superbike and a BSB bike, BSB bike is much more fun. But one thing I will ask you, not as BSB series director, um, as, a, as a race fan, as Greg said, you know, full stop, how long is it going to be before we get some sort of parity between us, America, World Superbike, so that we can regenerate those old match races of you know the days of old? Well, what's your thought on that? Yeah, I mean, the the I mean the American Championship. I have some exposures to that. I mean, it's there's a couple of good teams in there, but you know the privateers really do struggle. And if I'm honest, my observation is purely because they don't know that a they can't afford and or have the expertise to manage the electronics and. Um, uh, some of the discussions of other teams out there is that they they wish they were on our, our platform, but they kind of thought, well, we'll go down the WSB route. Um, WSB is, is, a, is a more political championship. There is more higher-end manufacturer involvement, and the manufacturers will kick and scream and say, look, we want to have uh, more open electronics because that's kind of what's on the road by blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it would kill us stone dead. And that's what got us into this um, situation in the first place there was a, a very small uh, group of haves and more have nots and it was a no not just a, a, there was a, a, a tire pecking order and there was a you know a, a big difference in you know if we, if we suddenly said we'll go WSB rules forget budget caps because it means different things to different people is that well, we all know the teams now there's probably be four teams that do it to a certain level and everybody else will be way off again then it's kind of well, okay we just run superstock then you just have one good bike, which is just like you follow the fashionable route. So, so where we are, I think, is where it where it needs to be. And, we've, and I, I like to try and keep, you know, this 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 hope that people will look at us and um, say, well, maybe they did get it right. Um, but I mean, I, you know, I think we will see um, a, maybe a, a couple of teams do the Donington World Superbike round again, which is good. But in order to do that, they're going to have to go and bolt the Morelli gear on or whatever the the open electronics for that particular bike is, which is a now it's a big cost exercise. It is frustrating because, as Shane says, the um, it should be the simplest thing in the world to get two or three championships together and say, look, this should work everywhere. But um, I think, unfortunately, it just got it went too far apart for it ever to come back again as as close as it it should do. I mean, mechanically, the championships are are pretty pretty similar. I mean, it, it might be the odd nut and bolt here or there, but it's just the electronics really. Yeah, it's, it's, I have to say, as a commentator, it's frustrating with electronics because it's not something people can visually see at home. You know, your armchair fan doesn't know the difference, well, do they? And exactly. I mean, you know, when you've got 18 bikes in the World Championship rattling round, you know there's, uh, you know, 10, 10 riders here that will turn an 18 grid into a 28 uh, rider grid, of which half of that 10 mm. would be, um, you know, top, top five material. Yeah. So and then, so putting my sort of MSV Donington hat on, you know, that would transform that event. You know, and if we ever got to a stage where we could actually um, get people to realise that Brands actually is the natural home of all superbikes in the world, full stop, all of a sudden you've got you know, arguably the best race event of the year back again. 
Yeah, oh, it would be great, but wouldn't that's it? That's just way too simple, you know. <laughs> <laughs> would be good though, wouldn't it, to be back at Brands? Yeah, no, Brands World Superbike was was the event, wasn't it? I mean, I you did uh, double there. Yeah, I had a little wobble around there. Um, yeah, Brands GP circuit's been really kind to me. I've had 19 wins there in BSB alone, um, right. plus the two World Superbike wildcard wins and yeah that that's the home of world superbike when you look back and you see 120 odd thousand people at brands actually you know the crowd just rammed i mean it gives you goosebumps just riding out yeah. pit lane you know so if we could ever make that happen it'd be great uh, it, it, it's slightly grating that there's uh, i think brands actually gets a little bit of unfair press from certain people in the international community and yet they're all happily going to go down to imola next yeah, week and yeah, um, you know I, I don't really see great difference between them they are natural Know, older racetracks designed by hillsides rather than computers and they come with some natural challenges but you know with you know you make them as safe as you can with the the new barrier technology that we have and um it's not impossible um you have to take a slightly different view compared to some of the new builds but you know I, it's similar with motor gp i mean i was you know, watching hereth and you know there were a lot of air fence contacts and um you know when we were talking about perhaps motor gp going to, to donington as a as a project you know, there were lots of things about, you know, you kind of red gates completely unacceptable for Mother GP. Well, go and get Google Earth out uh, on and look at, and transpose Hereth over Donington. Mm. Um, Hereth's actually yeah. is basically the first that from the last corner to the first corner is essentially the same the same configuration. And go and see what the measurements are. Turn one, run off Jerez uh, and uh, Donington, and you'll be surprised to see that Jerez is less than red gate is now. I was walking the track at Hereth actually, whenever it was this year, and the runoff at Turn Two is tiny at Hereth. Yeah, and and the, the last few corners as you come back in that stadium section, yeah. you know, it, it's a bit like kind of Hawthorns at Brands Hatch and, uh, yeah. and places like that. So uh, a few circuits kind of get away with it on the kind of grandfather rights. Is if you've if you've had an uninterrupted positioning of the championship, mm. you kind of retain your place and just keep chipping away. Is it? If you if you step away and come back again, you're almost treated as a new build, which. No, it's I think a little unfair on the, on the UK in that in that respect. Do you ever think again about any other European continental rounds for BSB? Obviously, we've got Assen. Would it make sense to have any more? No, I think it's a really, really um, uh, careful thing to look at because um, we do have an incredible fan base here, and they they travel the length and breadth of the UK. And it's uh, to suddenly take you've, you've got to take something away in order to put something there. And uh, you know, I Assen, we took a lot of stick for that, but I think Assen works. It um, it has a good UK following as it is. I mean, people always used to flock there to support Carl Fogarty, and there's obviously a lot of people go to the Dutch Grand Prix, so also uh, Dutch TT. So everyone is a uh, it doesn't feel like it's a real alien place to go and it's a bit of an adventure, but, you know, yeah, we've spoken to some circuits in Germany and um, you know, uh, I'd just, re- you know, if we went to, say, for example, Oschersleben, I think, you know, three men and a dog would come, come and watch us and you think, well, what's the point, you know? Um, Portimao for the test was great. Um, oh, we'd love to have a race here, but, again, realistically, I mean, they, they, they struggle to get a crowd for, for anything. Um, so... I think we'd be doing ourselves a disservice. It's nice to go there and, and certainly flex for, for, for the test was a really good experience. Um, but, you know, maybe, you know, downstream, you never know. I mean, rights of sports events do change hands. I mean, you know, if Dawn or suddenly were feeling charitable and decided that they wanted to sort of maybe offload World Superbike, we'd have a look at it and maybe sort of do something as a European-based right, thing. Really <laughs> I know, I mean, maybe strange things happen, you know. I mean, yeah. I think it's just never say never is, um, you know... When we, I mean, it was probably only a couple of years before we went to Assen when we were took the, the prospect of a race outside of the UK was seemed literally impossible. And then when we did it, we thought, well, actually, it was easier than we thought it would be. Yeah. So, um, oh, we'll have to see. I mean, yeah, 
I think motorcycle racing is uh, it's in a strange place. The MotoGP is 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 clearly going from strength to strength. It's going to new territories, left, right, and centre. And um, you know, while Superbikes in a few territories, it's it struggling. So you wonder whether that the concept. I and mean, I have a kind of my my blueprint, not just giving it away, but I've always thought uh, perhaps a more logical thing was having a a strong US championship, a strong Northern Europe, strong maybe um, Southern Europe, strong Asia pack. Let those series all run as on the same technical platform. Um, some of them different times of the year, and then you come together for a sort of Superbike World Cup or something yeah, yeah. out of the regular season. So you get the odd ringer in there as well from 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 MotoGP yeah. maybe, and that that's kind of a new way of defining it. Um, so that would be a, my kind of blueprint for the future. Really. Oh, I kind of go and speak to Carmelo and get this sorted out. I do try, but I know the easiest to, to deal with. Really. <laughs> it would be good, though, wouldn't it, Shaky? I mean, to bring in theory all those best riders together on one sort of you know World Cup, if you like, it would be great, actually. Well, you know that that's the that's the dream, isn't it? You know, at the end of the day, <clears throat> a an American champion, um, you know, let's take Josh Hayes for instance, um, similar statistics to myself, um, and me as a BSB champion for for six years or whatever. Um, and then you take maybe one of the, Jonathan Ray, for instance, maybe he could come across, and then you take somebody from Japan or whatever, and we all get to go and do this race on on the same bikes, you know. Then then who is champion? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you know for sure, if I went across to America, it'd be difficult to go there in the first season and try and win the championship. And the same for Josh Hayes, if he came to to the UK and and I was fit and healthy, it'd be difficult for him to come in and try and beat me. But the, the, the thing is that, that we're all on different stuff. So the, the dream case scenario for me has always been, you know, if I was if I was Stuart, I'd, I'd be wanting to try and promote some kind of championship where, where we all had the same. And ultimately, when we all came together, it doesn't matter what you've done in your home country, you know, this one round or these three rounds perhaps in, in one in each of the, of the territories would yeah, be the yeah, one that determines you as, a, yeah. you know, the ultimate superbike champion or whatever. I mean, that'd just be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be like a sort of showdown, wouldn't it, I suppose? Yeah, but also the way sports are you know, presented is that motorsport is sometimes uh, very difficult to broadcast because it takes, it, the, the season is so long. Mm. You know, it's, it's April to October yeah. and keeping yeah. a sporting story going for that length of time when there's lots of other things going on is very difficult. So if you, yeah. uh, hence the, 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 our, our showdown format is that it's a it's a you know, crescendo of competition as we is the, the posh phrase for it. But you get to that bit where you can crystallise those final three races, and if you are the, the casual viewer, um, you can just focus in on that, and everything counts. So I think in this sort of like, you know, dream scenario we talk about, that's that that's it. It's, it's easy for a broadcaster and a, and a spectator and a circuit to understand that okay, this this couple of weekends somewhere somewhere nice or wherever it is held um, would be the there will be the, that's the thing with the match races. I mean, you know, Wayne and I, whenever we have dinner uh, over in the US, when I go and help him out, you know, that's the thing to 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 have literally two weekends or something like that. We go, I mean, go to somewhere sort of like Daytona or something like that. You know, in single handedly revive the Daytona two hundred um, as a as, or, you know, I think they've got a short circuit or an infield circuit or something like that. Yeah. You know, Daytona one week and Brands the next week or something like that. Yeah. Get. Get Richard, you know that, that that's how it is. Wherever we, we, we've got to, you know, you got to sometimes dare to dream, step out, think outside of the box, think yeah. what concepts could work, and you know, if there's a, a promotional partner and a commercial partner that wants to come back us, well, yeah. you know. 
come talk to us tomorrow. Because <laughs> you do get that attitude with certain people and organisations, oh, we've always done it like this. Like, doesn't, okay, it doesn't mean we've got to carry on doing it like that, does it? Yeah, I mean, every, I mean, look at, look, I mean, if you look at cricket, um, you know, stuff here, old test match formats and things like that, and all of a sudden someone came up with 2020 and it uh, essentially saved the sport. Yeah. Uh, a, a domestic level um, in many, many territories so I think that's sometimes what we've got to look at it, it's, we are a very traditionalist sport and um, as I found when I've, as I've tried to sort of like challenge the establishment you know, I've done it the old way of you know, trying to push boundaries and move things on and, 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 and push the thing on and uh, the resistance has never been the, the most of the resistance has never been really a constructive um, no you can't do it uh, because it won't work it's, it's because well, cause we just don't even want to think about it so yeah. um, so Jacob was talking about having big balls before. I mean, what's it been like for you over the years to, you know, go head to head with people like that and tell your opinion? And all you're trying to do is put on a good show, isn't it? At the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it's a it's a very um, uh, absorbing pastime. I mean, it comes. I'm, I'm sure I won't be the first, and I won't be the last. I mean, whether you're a rider or a team person, or in, in my position, I mean, it can it cost me my marriage um, because you do. It is consuming. You. It is a seven day a week. Um, consumed affair you don't have much downtime you're always thinking you're always expected to be accessible or you know you, it's the choice you take I'm not complaining about it it's it's just the the natural way and I think as, you know, as riders um, you have to be programmed to be incredibly selfish you know you, you know you go for a part of the year where you know you do put yourself first you don't get the chance to take your kids to school pick them up from school and it's um it's tough. You go. You have a very supportive partner, and then they sometimes break, and then you're left on your own. And then you sort of was, was it all worth it? And uh, mm. it, it's tough, but it's the path you take. And you know, I don't think we should, should be miserable about it. But if you get the, the reward, is you know, I, the, the flip side is uh, to do a job, whether it be a rider or as a promoter, where the effort and energy you put in, you get to see, and you get people to talk about it, and even just unloading like this. It's a you know. If you're in a, no, a regular job, you know that's. I'd hate to do that. I had a regular job in the in the city, and I couldn't stand it. You know, I was still doing this bit on the side, and, th- and this, it was yin and yang. This was actually my 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 drive to develop as yes. a yeah. uh, as a as a businessman, and a, you know, as a whatever else. You know, it was my character is is being done from racing. You know, and I I owe the sport a lot because I you know, it brings a lot of people together that wouldn't necessarily be together even in, in my own organisation. We have. Lawyers, doctors, dentists, bricklayers, carpenters, all come together for the common theme of motorcycle racing, and that's 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 a great um, mix. It also means if you move out, you have access to a lot of people. <laughs> what was your first job? I worked in a shop. What was yours? Um, I worked in um, in IT, although it wasn't hugely technical, but uh, mm. uh, it was in back in the old days of mainframes. I was a computer operator, but again, uh-huh. doing doing the um, the racing on the side. My father was. Um, one of the sort of the lights of the the marshals and officials at Brands Hatch, so I was going to Brands from sort of sort of age zero basically, sure. but intuitively, even as sort of like maybe as a six or seven year old, probably annoying the hell out of the establishment. Then I could intuitively look at something and go, "That looks crap. Why are they doing that? Why is that the sort of like marshal running around above a flag?" As in the old days, you see the old footage, like uh, uh, just crazy, really dangerous stuff. Seeing people, you know, crash and hit railway sleepers, going like, "Why? No, yeah. why is it no?" Why is there no medical? You know, yeah. you know, I, I kind of got it because I could also hear my father because he, he was a, a, a bit of a pioneer on that front as well, trying to sort of make the job better and resisting all the old um, historical organisations that were, you know, racing was run in back in the old days and there was a, a documentary, I mean, when the BBC did a thing and I think they did centred it on some things that had gone wrong at, at Alton Park with the ACU back in the mid-80s. It was at the subject of a BBC documentary 
um, how bad motorcycle racing was run, and it was a lot of blazer wearers. And you know, as yeah. as, as a rider in the program said, you know, people will care for a, in golf they care more for a lost golf ball than the establishment did at the time about the riders. And it was just horrendous because you, you couldn't see you saw events with hundred thousand people and all this perception of money sloshing around. Obviously, the end of the Sheen era. Yeah, it was run as a as a committee for a, a select few. Yeah, because they used to get horrendous start money, didn't they? I mean, the riders were treated so badly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a very different different model then. And um, but you know, it was a complete cash business, and it was like, yeah, they they were paid well, but they deserved to be paid well up front because in those days you weren't guaranteed you were going to go home that night. Yeah, yeah. I suppose the risk's always there, shaky, but it's worth the reward. Yeah, definitely. Listen, I died. Well. I'd say I dedicated my life to it. You know, it's it's all I've ever wanted to do is be what what I am or what I was. So, yeah, like as Stuart said, you know, it's cost him it's cost him heavily um, to be his part of the sport. Um, but you know, the the selfishness, the the whole you know, well, <laughs> the kids, you're gonna have to take the kids to school. You're gonna have to do this. You know, I've got to focus on racing. It's just yeah. it's just how it is. It's the it's the sport you choose, and I think I think racing's either in you or it isn't. Um, and there's no way of, of just switching it off. It's not like a button, you know. You've either got it or you or you haven't. And I don't mean that from a talent point of view. I mean that like you're you're either in our sport, and it, I guess it's a, like, it's not even a marmite situation. Yeah, there's, there's nothing you can say yeah. about the feeling and the and the passion and, and whatever else you have for for the sport that we're involved in. Like a drug, isn't it? Well, we've almost overrun. Anything else you want to say before we all go home? Yeah, I want to go home. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely wreck my podcast. <laughs> the M6 looms. Yeah, yeah, the only thing that can be thrown against me today is the sudden <laughs> M6. Don't forget to call the Silverstone lawyer before you go home. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Really good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for that. And just to answer your question, um, you asked me, didn't you, before, I almost forgot to answer, why have I never ridden a bike? I don't know, really, you know. It's never something where I've, I've said I never want to ride a motorcycle. It's just not something I did. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I started off playing computer games with car racing and started off watching car racing and then it went into bikes. I don't know, really. It never sort of... I was never really like a bike-mad guy. I used to commentate on my Formula 1 computer game when I was 11 years old, so I always knew I wanted to be a commentator more than a driver or a rider. I suppose that's the answer. doesn't mean it couldn't happen, though. Well, I'm sure we could. We, I'm sure we could get it arranged so that you could get your uh, get your license sorted for you and get you out on some bikes and maybe fire off for a few track days. Because at the end of the day, listen, the yeah. way I see it, um, you know, the, the relevance of, of somebody's conversation um, is is determined by their their stature in the in the sport. I mean, listening to you on on TV, and I know this is not the, the Greg Haynes podcast, but listening to you with your stats and the, and the knowledge and the you know the interesting comments that you make um alongside whip for instance who who is the the ex-rider who can see something that's happening you know it's, it's a great dynamic but i think giving you an insight into what it's like yeah. to actually ride around a racetrack would only would only help um what's the word enhance your yeah. your whole yeah commentating career or, or whatever it is you, you yeah. you're looking to achieve maybe we should do it as some sort of feature you know because i've never ridden a bike i've been on a bike as a passenger when i was about i don't know how old so you, 10. Can't, you can't ride a motorbike no honestly i've never ridden a motorbike right and it's not it. as i say it's not because i've never wanted to ride a motorbike it's sort of just i don't know it didn't happen really and there's quite no excuses there's quite a few people in that press room you wouldn't be able to no you're right yeah but i think uh, i think we should get you mm. sorted out we should get your uh, get you get you trained up, get your test done, 
get you along to the Ron Aslam Race School. Um, yeah. You know, go and have a ride around some tracks and uh, and just see. It will give you. I think that the comment I made a minute ago about the sport either being in you or not, it will give you such an amazing insight getting to ride around Silverstone or Donington, wherever mm-hmm. Ron's doing the school now, and experiencing for yourself, you know, the adrenaline, the, the, the buzz that we get from riding the bikes and whatever else. I think you'd absolutely love it. I mean, I love go-karting, so I would imagine I would. And here's, this is going to sound like a sissy baby question. Would I be... I'd be nervous. Would I be scared? Would I be nervous? Would I be apprehensive? How do you think I would be feeling... You know, having not gone into that as something I desperately want to do like you did, because I don't even know, you know, the most basic things I would have to learn, which is, could be quite interesting, actually, couldn't it? I reckon I could scare you if I took you on a billion lap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, let's, uh, let's, let's save this for, uh, for <laughs> yeah, a future shaky yeah, show. I mean, yeah, this, one's, yeah. uh, this one's gone off on a bit of a tangent, yeah, has it? But, yeah, uh, yeah it's, been, uh, it's been great. Great spending a bit more time with you. I think it's been a, a, a good weekend. I think it's been a much better indication as to where things are actually going to be yeah. for the for the rest of the season. And uh, yeah, I certainly look forward to to round three and, and to our next our next podcast. Absolutely, and we'll have a full throttle podcast, a more usual one next week because uh, we'll be at Imola. So I don't know whether we're here from you or not in that one, Shaky. We'll see how it pans out. But we'll be there, won't we, for World Superbikes this coming weekend? We will. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'll see you there. See you there. Thanks a lot. See you later. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.